Hello, and welcome to the Gargoyle Podcast, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan, a.k.a. The Gargoyle. And I'm Eric, a.k.a. The Chimerican. And we are finally wrapping up our Chat Film Fest coverage. Finally. Uh, not, that, not that we're wanting it to go away. It's We're excited about next year already, so it's like yeah. we need to go ahead and tie this one up. It's kind of like with Christmas, uh, you know, like I celebrate Christmas until well after New Year's, as one should, but there hits a certain point, I think it's typically around like either January 7th or 13th, whenever like, you know, Christmas officially ends, that watching Christmas movies is no longer fun. Yeah, yeah, because then at that point, it's like, you feel like you're the only one doing it. Yeah. So it's like, well, I mean, I guess I might as well move on to the next thing that's going on. Yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of what's going on here. Absolutely love Chat Film Fest. It's not that we're not having fun anymore. Uh, it's It's been over a month, and we are yeah. we need to get our even coverage. Even Chat Film Fest people over there are like, guys, can you wrap this shit up, please? <laughs> like, let's get this, let's get this thing going. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> They're just like, okay, um, yeah, no more movies for you guys until you get all of these done. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and that's the thing. It is bittersweet because I love Chat Film Fest and like it's fun to continue to reflect on the experience that I had there. But at the same time, I'm ready. I'm ready to move on to to new new horizons, new movies. Well, we've also got some fun things coming up, uh, and there's going to be at least one more episode, hopefully soon. That's like Chat Film Fest adjacent. Yes, like it's not tech going to be part of our chat film fest coverage but it's going to happen because of uh, the film fest and then we have one if not two more episodes uh in in a few months that it's going to be the same thing not directly cff episodes but absolutely would not have happened without chat without chat film fest so lots of fun things coming up um but yeah tonight we are finally wrapping up all of the reviews for the movies that we saw at chat film fest and tonight we're talking about movies about outcasts outcasts yes yeah not like big boy and andre 3000 but like people who don't fit into society and oh man we could do we could do a movie about um i mean an episode about movies that have the people from outcast in them so like idlewild I've never seen it. I don't know. And it's, Andre, I, I don't want to say it's, it's fun. Andre 3000 has been in a few movies. Yeah. Uh, Big Boy, I feel like, has been in a movie. I don't Maybe, know. Maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah. We could do that. We totally could. <laughs> but we're not going to. <laughs> <laughs> we, we might. It's not like we don't have enough ideas that we've already got prepped. That's the other thing is like we have so many stupid themes that we really want to cover. Um that that we're excited about the uh, the next chapter. Um, all right, yeah. So tonight we're talking about. I did not have my list pulled up. Tonight we're talking about Hail Satan because uh, it has a question mark, and I'm never going to not say it that way. <laughs> Mutant Blast, Bread Factory Part One, and Suburbia. Uh, and just like all of the other reviews that we've done for Chat Film Fest, we are going to be doing full reviews, but we're going to keep them as spoiler free as possible. Um, so we might not go into quite as much detail as we would on a movie that's, you know, 20 or 30 years old. Um, but we are still doing full coverage on all of them, just cramming them into one episode. Uh, all right. So starting things out with Hail Satan? Question mark? They're not, people aren't here to see the question mark, so I have to use the intonation of, well, of questions. To, to answer the question of Hell Satan, for me, <laughs> the answer is no, because I did not see Hell Satan, unfortunately. But, but is that like the only deciding factor? <laughs> is that the only deciding factor about whether I should, I, whether I Hell Satan? About whether or not you Hail Satan? Um, no, that's not the only deciding factor. Um, it's, what, what if it was like Hail Satan, you know, like tiny little frozen rain? Yeah. 
Or Hell Satan as in H-E-L-L, as in the place where Satan resides. Or like Satan played by Tony Hale. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that would be fantastic. Yeah. I would love to. I would watch the <laughs> shit out of that. <laughs> there, there needs to be a movie called Hail Satan with Tony Hale as Satan. Yes. that I, I would love it. Let's make that happen. <laughs> Tony Hale, if you're listening. <laughs> I'm glad to see that we are on par for our ridiculousness. Uh, so, yeah, Hail Satan is a documentary directed by Penny Lane about the Satanic Temple, and it is fascinating. So yeah, fascinating. It, it, it sounds very fascinating. I'm very disappointed that I didn't have a chance to see it because it was the first film that played at the festival. Um, and just that for it was on Thursday, I believe. And so I just wasn't able to get there in time to watch it. Um, but yeah, but based on what I've read about it, it sounds like the answer to the question of hell, Satan is a uh, much more, much more complicated than I would, than I would have thought it yeah. for, for a good old Christian boy such as myself. <laughs> well, and, um, most of the things that you would say about the movie are probably along the same lines of the things that you said in our preview episode talking about like what movies you wanted to see because it, they're, they're kind of spot on. Also, it's a documentary, so there's not really any like twists or, um, you know, like surprises. It's we're documenting things that have actually happened. In fact, a lot of it is um, is about the statue of Baphomet that the Satanic Temple wanted to get erected where uh, courthouses have the Ten Commandments out in front. Yeah. So, like, that's a thing that's been in the news so much lately that you already kind of have most of the story. It's just filling it in uh, a lot more with um, with the viewpoints of people actually in the Satanic Temple. Um, but, but, yeah, uh, sorry, you were about to say something. No, no, I, no go for Go for it. Oh, no, I'm using that as an excuse to take more uh, drink of my coffee because I cannot talk and drink at the same time. So are we still going to break this down, prior information, all that good stuff? Yeah. um, This one might not be quite as in-depth as some of the others because it'll be a more one-sided-ish conversation. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, so Eric, what's your prior information? About Hail Satan. Uh, my prior information <laughs> is that I knew a little bit about the Satanic Temple prior to hearing about the film, um, and I find it very fascinating. And I was really interested in watching the documentary. Um, and I knew that the um, the kind of debate about the statue of Baphomet would figure in pretty heavily. I think that maybe was in Missouri or somewhere. It might have been a few different places. Um, but I, I find it very interesting because it's like as as a Christian. It, you'd think that I would be entirely opposed to something like the to the Satanic Temple, but I'm also somebody who is very much pro religious freedom. Yep. And so I completely understand why they've staged this protest to try and get this statue put up at the courthouse, um, because I mean it is kind of strange that we allow you know the courthouses to display the Ten Commandments, and um, I don't know. I find that debate very interesting, and I also think it's interesting to see what the satanic temple is actually about because they do not worship satan if you go to the satanic temple website the very first question on the frequently asked questions is hey do you guys worship satan and they're like uh yeah no we're actually not we actually don't believe in anything supernatural or spiritual or whatever like the satanic temple is basically a subsect of humanism in a way like it's very much a branching off of humanism that's more focused on like personal sovereignty and social justice. Yeah. And a lot of those things, um, we're, we're going to go into a little bit more depth with, with the, uh, technical and emotional, because 
I had some very interesting emotional reactions watching the documentary. Um, but yeah, my prior information about the same. Um, I, I knew that this was a documentary and I knew the, the controversy surrounding the Baphomet um, statue, but like that was about it. Um, I hadn't really heard a whole lot about it beyond what we had already talked about. Um, the, uh, the one reviewer who I forget who said um, where they, they said, this oh, yeah, is going to have you asking by the end of it. Am I a Satanist? Yeah, I was just thinking about how I didn't mention that. Yeah, it was uh, David Ehrlich of IndieWire reviewed the film and uh, said, you know, there's a question that will occur to you midway through this documentary. And it's not a question that you probably ever thought you'd be asking yourself. But uh, that question is, am I a Satanist? And uh, that really intrigued me and really made me want to watch this movie because never in my life would I ever expected <laughs> to ask myself that question. So let's go ahead and dive directly into the technical then, because I totally was asking myself that during the movie. And in part because, you know, we had talked about it and so it was, it was on my mind watching it. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's there were a lot of times that I was like, I don't they're not wrong. Yeah. And I growing up Christian, this, that is a weird thing for me. But again, that's more on the emotional side of things. Um, well, and this whole idea of even using the ter- like the moniker Satanic Temple, it's kind of a of a joke in a way. Like it's it's basically like like it says in the, on the website that they really try to embrace their outsider status. Um, so it's almost like yeah, we're it almost seems like kind of a troll thing, but not just to just to troll people, like to actually be inflammatory and get people's attention so that way they will pay attention to what they're doing. And again, especially since one of their primary purposes is to, um, as, as a proponent of religious freedom, they've actually established a church of Satanism and they have all the same benefits that come with that in terms of like not having to pay taxes and that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I just find it fascinating what, what they've done with it. Yeah. And it, so from a technical standpoint, it is a really really well done documentary because like it does show all of those things it does give you more of the backstory not only on satanic temple itself but like the people who who are part of it the people who join it and like they're all just people and the more that you get to see about them it's just like yeah like i i get it i understand um and and again like it does the documentary does a very very good job of not just presenting like, oh, church is stupid. It presents like these are people who have you know been through various struggles in their life. This is why uh, the Satanic Temple is important to them. This is the role the Satanic Temple plays in society. This is how society responds to not only the temple, but also the people who are mm-hmm. part of it. Uh, some of the infighting within the temple. And so like just from a purely documentary film standpoint, it, it's great. Like I was captivated the entire time and I really hate that you missed it because again, it is just a very solid documentary and beyond the subject matter. It is, it is very well done. Um, yeah, I'll absolutely be checking it out at some <clears throat> point. There is a lot of the just sort of like talking head where they have the people in front of the camera talking about things, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel boring and it doesn't feel overused because it is interspliced with a lot of the other like things actually going on so Mm -hmm. it doesn't just feel like i've watched some dude sit in front of a camera for two hours so uh yeah like technically done very very well i don't really know much more beyond that to talk about from a technical standpoint because like there's not really a script because again documentary 
there's not really acting because again documentary so like a lot of the things that you typically talk about with a documentary film is less to talk about here I would sh- so you say that with te- on the technical side, it's about like half talking head and then half examining this one, like a specific case of with well, okay, or- so that actually would be uh, something about it. I it the the first half is or like maybe the first two thirds. It's examining like the Satanic Temple and its history and like why some of the people have joined, and so it's a much broader scope. Mm-hmm. Then there is a little bit of a subplot um, of like some, again, some infighting where one of the, I guess you would call them like the equivalent of a deacon. Yeah. um, Like they're starting to go too extreme. And so there's there's debate about whether or not this person is still following the tenets of the the satanic temple. Mm -hmm. What should we do about it? Because if like part of the reason for the temple is to accept the outsiders what do you do when someone starts being too much of an outsider for the outsiders? Yeah. So like that's, that's, mm, that's a really sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's a really interesting subplot that it doesn't. I don't know. I I go back and forth on whether or not I think too much time was spent on it or not enough time was spent on it, just because of the the overall flow of things. Mm-hmm. Because then the last like at least a third of it is talking very specifically about the Ten Commandments and Baphomet. And like all of it is really, really interesting. So no parts of it felt just like, eh, I don't care. The weird thing for me was I don't know which part I cared about the most. Mm-hmm. And so I I like I keep going back and forth on whether or not it should have been a much longer documentary, split o- like maybe a two parter or like a mini series, or if things should have been trimmed down a little bit. Um but, but again, like it was done technically very well. So watching it, it didn't really feel like, oh, wait, this just came out of nowhere. Like there's a very logical flow on how it gets to where it gets to. It was more of just like afterwards thinking about it, talking to other people about it, you know, asking what they thought. And they're like, oh, I wasn't so crazy about this thing. Or I really wish they had focused more on this piece that I was like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know where I fall with that. Um, so there, there is that which, I mean, it sounds like a, a negative. It sounds like a critique, but it's more of just a. I don't know where I fall because again, it was just really enjoyable and really informative to watch. So there, there is a little bit of narrative break or just like you know, going between a few different stories. Um, but again, overall, they all fit together. They all work. So to me, it wasn't jarring during the documentary. Cool. So, yeah. yeah I have nothing to add because yeah. I didn't see it. Yeah. <laughs> you are pointless on this episode. Emotional. How, how emotional did you get watching so, this film, Nathan? So I grew up in the church. Grew up in the South. Grew up. Church of Satan, right. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, no, like I grew up Christian and still am Christian. And so it was very weird because all of the people talking about their experiences, it was like, yep. I know that person or I've been that person and like I get it and the church has done some terrible, terrible things and people doing things, quote, in the name of God, end quote, uh, do things that are very evil and vile and very much not in the name of God. Mm -hmm. And so like hearing people talk about their experiences with religion and just how restrictive and and controlling it can be, it was like, yep, I've definitely seen that in the church. Yeah. And um and yeah, so like asking myself, am I a Satanist? Because again, of the uh, the review that we talked about beforehand, it was like I I mean like 
No, kind, no, but, but kind also of. kind of <laughs> in this specific context, maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, we we read you read the uh, tenets of the Satanic Temple, the se- what seven tenets? Yeah, so the seven um, tenets of the Satanic Temple because they all like make such sense. Yeah, I mean, it's all stuff that I kind of that I pretty much b- believe in. You know, it's talking about like so. Uh, I'll, I'll yeah. just read through them. Uh, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. So be kind and logical. Yes. On board with that one. Spock would agree. (laughs) Especially being half human and actually having some emotion. He would totally agree. Ooh, is Spock part of the satanic temple? Ooh, that would be, I would watch that movie. That, that would be, that'd be amazing. Um, Oh, one other thing with technical, it's funny. Like it is a really funny documentary. There are a lot of things where the entire theater was laughing out loud. Um, It's yeah. There, there is a lot of motion emotion going on in this film, and uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, all right, so tenant number two, the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. Mm-hmm. So basically, justice is more important than just laws for the sake of law. Right. Which, you know, like Jesus talked about that. So on board with that one. Uh, one's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. Keep your laws off my body. Totally on board with that one. The freedom of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend, to to willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Like respect. That's basically like my entire life philosophy. Yeah. (laughs) So, yes. Well, and man, we can spend like an entire episode just talking about like free speech and uh, freedom to offend. Okay. I have to get on this little side tangent. People do not understand what, like, freedom of speech actually is. Freedom of speech is, like, the government. Protects you from government censorship. Cannot control you, cannot control what you're saying. Mm. Other people can kick you off of their social media sites. Or can, like, refuse to allow you to come to their college. Or, like, being denied access to a thing because you have offended someone. That's not encroaching on free speech. Unless it is specifically the federal government that's denying you access. Exactly. Yeah. And it's something that a lot of people don't understand. Freedom of speech does not mean freedom of consequence. Yeah, exactly. Like, so freedom of speech is, uh, you can call me an asshole (laughs) and the government cannot lock you away. Right. But I can kick you off the podcast and like, that's not encroaching on your freedom of speech. Exactly. And people just do not get that. I could start my own podcast. (laughs) With blackjack. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Um, Beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's belief. I pretty much talk about that thing very specifically in my classes when we're talking about research and when Mm -hmm. we're talking about uh, making sure they like, you know, quoting your sort or not quoting, but citing your sources, making sure that you are doing like sound research and how research has to be based off of fact, not faith. And it doesn't matter what you believe. It's like, what do the facts show? And mm. man, trying to teach that in a college in the South, that's a, uh, it's a tricky thing. That sounds interesting. I'd, yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to be a part of some of those classes sometimes. Cause yeah. that's something, it's something that's so hard to get across to people in a, yep. a lot of way. A lot of times, like i in my Christianity, <clears throat> the way that I practice Christianity feels very countercultural a lot of times and uh, very much, 
opposed to the way that a lot of Christians around here at least believe. And, um, but I also don't feel like that makes me less of a Christian. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's, it's in some, well, so I don't want to get into it. This isn't the right place, but yeah. Or or it's the perfect place. So like along with that piece of, you know, like faith and fact are two completely different things. One of the activities that I have my students do is, um, to determine whether or not a a number of statements are, uh, are true. And like they're all a little tricky. So like one of them is um, Darwin. Darwin uh, Darwin's theory of evolution stated that humans evolved from monkeys. <clears throat> and like you know, students will get all over it. Just like, no, we didn't. Blah 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 blah. And like, okay, that's not what the statement said. It's did Darwin ever actually say that? Regardless right. of what you think about it, focus on the fact that like what was actually asked. Um, and one of the other statements is Christmas has always been a Christian holiday. Oh, yeah, fun stuff. And it's just <laughs> and so like then there's a very long discussion about like no, like it, it hasn't. It it was a pagan holiday. The reason that you decorate your Christmas tree is because you're trying to appease the pagan gods of the forest. Ooh, so, so yeah, like those are the facts, but also it wasn't called Christmas then. And so like technically is it right? Is it wrong? Whatever. Uh so then we talk about how the the history of how Christmas came to be. <clears throat> you cannot deny the facts about that, but that also doesn't change what, like, the reason why you celebrate. Right. So, yeah, that separation of faith and fact, totally on board with that Do you that play one. that uh, that Kurt Cameron movie about Christmas? <laughs> no. Surviving Christmas or whatever it's called. I don't know what it's called. You no. should play that in class. I, I don't be fun. think that I should. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then, every tenant is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility and action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. So basically, being a better person should be more important than just, like, what are the rules? So, like, I, there's not really any of these tenants of the satanic temple that I disagree with. Yeah, it's um, it's it's kind of fascinating like i want to i wonder how many people within the satanic temple identify as christians because there's nothing in those tenets that directly contradicts in fact it pretty much affirms most of the tenets of christianity yeah it that just, people get wrong that people get wrong exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah it's fascinating so uh i think the only uh the only response i have emotionally to this movie is yes yeah Hell Satan. <laughs> I mean, kind of even watching I mean, you, you mentioned this a little bit before, and I think that we even talked about it on our preview episode. But yeah, the statue of Baphomet where the Ten, Ten Commandments stand, like the Satanic Temple isn't trying to go all like, Hail Satan, you must erect this. It's just like, hey, right. look, if you're going to have one religious iconography in front of a state a government institution then you should you allow. To allow the other ones yeah yep it's like we don't really worship this statue it's just like hey uh if you're gonna do this then technically you have to have to let us do this too yeah and like the way that it's presented it is very logical and it it they're just a lot of very cogent arguments and it really again, gets at the heart of the whole issue of religious freedom is it's like yep. the reason we have this is so we you prevent things from things like this from happening. It's like, if you're going to put the 10 commandments uh, now, all of a sudden you've opened the, the floodgates to allow other religions to dictate what can, can't be displayed at the courthouse or, you know, that's, it's the whole reason we have 
that in the First Amendment. So, yep. Yeah, it is it is a very... And it's hard to get that across to Christians where it's like, uh-huh. yeah, we need to put God in schools. It's like, okay, well then, you know, let's talk about Allah. Let's talk about Buddha. Let's talk about the flying spaghetti monster. Let's yeah. talk about... You know, I, I always... Uh, Love slash hate, and by love, I mean just it, it makes my brain hurt a little bit when, and we're so off topic, um, yes. when people will talk about, like, how terrible Sharia law is and, like, all this, uh, I can't believe people are letting their religion rule their government, blah, 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 blah. We need to bring God back into government. Wait a second. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> you do, like, realize that you're basically wanting, like, exactly that. No, because I'm right is basically what they yep, say. Pretty much. They don't say those words, but uh, they, they kind of do. Yeah. I wish that wasn't a real conversation that I've been in with people. Yeah. It's a real conversation that goes nowhere. It, Nine yeah. Nine times out of ten. It, it hurts my brain. The the closest, so, so not what we're talking about, the closest that I've ever been to convincing people, like, why that's just a faulty argument um, is like, I am so pro separation of church and state Mm -hmm. because like, I don't want there to be, I don't want there to be school led prayer, even if it is a prayer that I agree with, because I don't want someone else turning right around and telling me how to pray. Exactly. Yeah. That's the whole, again, the whole point of it is like, we keep it separate because I mean, sure. Right now it favor, it, it largely favors Christianity, in so many ways and it's ridiculous but yep. yeah it's like you don't imagine being on the other side of that and you're not a christian or if it was you know they're bringing in some other religion that you completely disagree with or i mean i don't know it's it, just even, and even even then it's just even it's going back to the, like the history of why the separation of church and state it's because the christians in america the Christians in England were tired of the other Christians in England telling the Christians how to be Christians. Yes. So it was like, we need to go to a different country so that these Christians stop telling us how to be the Christians that we are. And so we need to let those Christians be those Christians and our Christians will be like, I, history is important. Yes. Learn it. So, so important. So not what we're talking about. It is a great documentary. How rewatchable Uh, is it? So rewatchable. It, I mean, it's a documentary. There's a limited amount of uh, enjoyment that you're going to get out of it just because it's... Your mileage it, will vary, I guess. Yeah. Your interest in the subject and um, and the fact, too, I mean, if it is... Uh, documentaries are typically typically going to be information dumps. And uh, that sounds like a neg- negative. It's like reading a biography. Right. Where it's very interesting. You will probably go back to it and revisit it sometimes, but most of what you would revisit it for are either trying to find a very specific thing that you're trying to uh, share with someone else or you're recommending it to someone mm-hmm. or you're discussing it. So yeah, like it is totally watchable and I totally recommend, which I'll get to in a second that other, that a lot of other people watch it. But in terms of like sheer rewatchability, it's going to be in sharing it with other people. And um, you know, like if it's been a while or if I'm just on a documentary kick, then it's it'd be pretty high up there. Um, but aside from like two or three documentaries, I typically don't rewatch them. Right. Yeah. I'm the same way. It's just like, I, okay, I've seen it. I get it. It's enjoyable, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So I have, I'm going to venture a guess that yes. for the people who you recommend it for would be not just limited to this group of people, but I'm assuming you would recommend this to Christians. Especially Christians who read about this 
at least this is what I'm thinking if I was to make a recommendation on a movie I haven't seen, um, especially, particularly Christians who don't actually understand what the Satanic Temple is because you see on Facebook and all that stuff anytime there are those news articles about it, you have the the Christians, you know, um, saying it's the end of times and how I can't believe people worship Satan and blah, 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 all this stuff. So I feel like that's kind of the target audience for this that does remind me there is uh, at least a little bit about the satanic temple wanting to get an after school program into like elementary oh schools. Oh my gosh, that is awesome. And how <laughs> that is interesting. So many parents are. And there's one scene. So talking about uh, some of the humor of the film, when the satanic temple has like an after school program for elementary school kids, there is a I think it was a woman. So there's a mother in there who is just swearing up and down because of how angry she is at them. And it's just like, okay, so you're concerned that they're going to teach kids hate and the way that you're expressing that is by swearing at these people? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. And like that kind ha. of, that, that hits home for me because like my kids go have after school programs that they've gone to before. And there have been times where a, there's, there was one time in particular where a church came in and gave the kids Bibles, made them cross necklaces. And then they wrote down in the Bible that ian was saved on this day and it's like wait a minute so you came to this after school program and then saved i'm making air quotes saved (laughs) my child taught him about jesus how do you like what is your definition of save i don't know like that just kind of flew all over me and as a christian i still also don't want other christians coming in and telling my kids what to think i mean yeah we kind of talked about this already but it's like most of what a lot of the Christians I know believe is not exactly how I believe, and I really don't yep. want them coming in and influencing my child without being present to talk about what they're talking about, to, yep. to actually make sure Ian understands what they're even saying. Uh, because I feel like for, with kids, a lot of times they're being exposed to the stuff. They don't even really understand what it is that they're agreeing to. Or, or they're being scared. You or, know, there's a lot of the... Uh, there's a lot of the hellfire and brimstone. Right. They, they tone it down. Or they're being fed but, like one specific interpretation and talking about <clears throat> sins that I don't believe are sins, but other Christians interpret as sin. And I don't know. It's just, yeah, again, another reason why separation of church and state and not letting religious groups attend after school programs is uh, a big deal for me. Yeah. Uh, so Any yeah, religious group, including my own. There's, there's a lot of, again, a lot of stuff to discuss. So to your point of recommending it for Christians, they're the people that I feel like need to see it the most mm-hmm. to understand some of the internal hypocrisy. And in case we haven't said this enough, we are Christians. Yes. <laughs> we are Christians <clears throat> very adamantly talking about how, you know, sometimes church is stupid. Um, <clears throat> so while I think that, yes, Christians who are so dogmatic in, in their viewpoints to where they think that uh, the Ten Commandments on government property is just heaven sent and anything other than that is just complete and total blasphemy. Those are the people who need to see it the most, but they're also the people who are going to be the least receptive to it. And so trying to get someone to understand this is why it's not okay. This is why it's not okay to have the 10 commandments on the front of um, government property. 
unless you allow all of these other religions to also have iconography there. Right. They're the ones who are most adamantly saying, see, this is exactly why the Ten Commandments need to be there and exactly why <laughs> we need more prayer in schools and exactly why we need to... To so, impose our religion on other people, whether exactly. they're receptive to it or not, because that always works out really well in the end. Yeah. So, like, it, it wouldn't – I don't think that it would get across to um, – eh, across to <laughs> those people. <laughs> oh, my God. Especially because some of the – there is a lot of nudity in the documentary. Um, I, they're, they're, they do show oh. some, like – not quite ritualistic, but some satanic rit- sat- rituals of the satanic temple have to be clear to not say satanic rituals since they don't believe in Satan. Right. Which I still think is funny. That's so funny. <laughs> it is That's just so. so... <laughs> yeah. No, I highly I recommend it. anyone listening to this who's intrigued by this to go to the satanic temple's website and just read through their their FAQs uh, because there's some really some really interesting tenets. Like uh, what you think about the satanic temple is probably not what they are at all um it's it's great yeah so if you are the type of person you know i i recommend it more for um i have a really hard time thinking through like who exactly to recommend it for i mean it's a great documentary if you enjoy documentaries i absolutely recommend it for you if you grew up in the south maybe that's it maybe it's not and it's not restricted to just the south but since that is such a heavy um, giant pink elephant in the room yeah. in the south. South, kind of the north northeastern United <clears throat> States is very similar to the south. Yeah, well, I mean, every every part of America has its own little pockets of things. Pretty much but, just any uh, rural part yeah. of America, I guess. <laughs> Anyone who is interested in learning about other people because people are people uh, anyone who ever read Horton Hears a Who and thought, you know what? Yep, I agree with Horton. A person's a person, no matter how small. Then that's who I recommend this for. It is the I like it. It, it is the adult version of Horton Hears a Who. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, I'm on board. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> um, yeah. The adult version of Horton. Now I'm now I'm picturing something totally different that is uh, very inappropriate for this podcast or for any uh, anyone who has. Eyes. No, I said Horton hears a who, not Horton hears a whore. Ah, uh, yeah, whore Horton Horton. Sorry, yeah, I'm sorry. Now let's could, let's couldn't miss that joke. All right, so uh, I think that's about it with Hail Satan. It's great. I definitely recommend it. Don't watch it with your super churchy grandma. She'll just try to throw holy water on you. That's that's about it. Yeah, but it's summer, so maybe that'd be nice. <laughs> it's nice and refreshing. It is hot as hell outside, <laughs> by the way. Oh my god, summer! Summers in Tennessee. We we just skipped straight from winter to summer. It we went didn't from have like, winter. We didn't. Ha- well, we like we saw fall in the distance. Is about as cold as it got. Um, Not what we're talking about. Yes. They, so my recommendation. It's more of who I don't recommend it for. If you have someone in your family, and we've mentioned this on the podcast that um, that they have a picture of Obi Wan on their mantle. <laughs> thinking that it's jesus maybe maybe not for them no totally for them i would just Again, i would i would want to watch that with it, them just to get their reaction to it you, because i'd say the the documentary is probably full of those people disowned. reacting to satanic temp- oh that's fine yeah that's I, th- fine th- there is a bit of the uh, satanic panic in the 80s and oh uh, cool yeah all right so next up mutant blast mutant blast man which is a trauma film sort of it, it, it's, it's a, por- a trauma film portuguese trauma film the yes. first first trauma film 
um <clears throat> that is um uh, portuguese yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm trying to think you, i'm trying to think like filmed in portuguese portugal or uh filmed in portuguese you, you sir are made by portuguese people i don't realize uh all right so written mostly and directed by fernando ali um Mutant Blast is a, yes, Portuguese trauma, futuristic, um, apocalyptic zombie. What the hell is going on? Phil? Yeah, it's a it's a road movie, sort of. Sort of. I think I, that's kind of what I was. There, there are oh, roads. Describe it. There are roads. There are not really any cars. Just they, post-apocalyptic, kind of like. Mad Max, if Mad Max had an even smaller budget than Mad Max had <laughs> and was not in Australia where they can make it really look post-apocalyptic. Yeah. Uh, it's so, a, prior information. Yeah, prior information. Um, I don't remember. Like, I don't <laughs> feel like I ha- I knew much about it other than, like, we talked about it on the podcast, so, I mean, you can go back and listen to those. But basically it was, hey, this movie's called Mutant Blast, and uh, it's a trauma movie, and, uh, yeah, we're definitely going to be seeing this. That was yeah, pretty it, much it. Like it, it involved nuclear somethings and zombies, and I think ninja in there somewhere. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's a it's one of those movies where they just totally threw a whole bunch of shit against the wall to see what stuck, and they decided basically everything sticks. We're just gonna stick everything in there. <laughs> in oh my god, I, I don't think that they were trying to see what sticks so much as um, just throwing it. Yeah, just throwing it. Yeah. Just th- it's like, like whatever I'm, you find, just heap that shit in there. Yep. Uh, all right. So, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much it on my prior information as well. I, my I expectation, because s- we, sometimes we forget that. Yeah. My expectation, it was going to be a trauma film. My expectation was it was going to be a trauma film. And I <clears throat> think that in a way it wasn't exactly what I expected. Like in terms of like, I think if you think of trauma films, you think it's a movie that's going to be super disgusting and... A lot of it, trauma films have like incestual elements and like lots of yeah. nudity and like disgusting sexual acts and stuff like that. This movie doesn't really have any of that kind of stuff. It's pretty much trauma film in the violence and just what the fuckness. Um, That's because it wasn't filmed in America. Right. So. Yeah. So it's, um yeah, it pretty much just met my expectations. It was about as zany and crazy and weird as i expected uh just with a lot less of the uh the weird sex stuff that i'm really glad is not in the movie that really turns me off from trauma trauma movies you you realize that even in saying that that's kind of embodying the uh, the line from the blob yes but don't worry there's nothing in it like sex okay but here's the thing i don't have a problem with sex or nudity (laughs) i trauma goes really yeah really far with it in a way that yeah trauma goes too far and also trauma (sighs) is deliberately trying to be provocative and to gross you out and that's just not really my thing so even in terms of the violence in a lot of cases it can sometimes get a little too much which this movie was much more tongue-in-cheek and like just kind of fun and it was super low budget and so silly yeah it's just very silly so here's my thing about trauma because this still relates to my expectation um and we'll not spend too much longer on this because honestly there's not a ton to say um my expectation with trauma is i love the the guiding principle of trauma of make whatever you want like movies deserve to be seen not censored and so I love that about trauma. That being said, there are plenty of trauma movies that I've seen that I'm just like, this is trash. 
Like this, I, I'm glad that it was made, I guess, but oh God, it does not need to be seen. Ugh. But I still, I love that it exists because, you know, again, movies deserve to be seen, not censored. Um, so there are some trauma movies that are genuinely great movies that just take things way too far. And then there are other trauma movies that have no redeeming quality whatsoever. They just take things too far. Right. Uh, and so I wasn't sure which one this was going to be. The fact that it was not American. I was hoping that it was going to go more with the, okay, yeah, like I, I see where it's going. Um, and, and and it met that expectation. It was it was a more enjoyable film than a lot of other trauma movies that I've seen. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's definitely, it definitely works on just like a pure entertainment level and is not the kind of movie that <clears throat> you would be ashamed to share with other people that you've seen. <laughs> <laughs> Most people. Most people, uh, all right, yes. So, from a technical standpoint, what did you think about Mutant Blast? I think it's pretty good. I mean, it's definitely a very low-budget kind of film. Um, it's not a movie that really tries to be super technically proficient. Like, it's kind of okay with just coasting by on whatever is available. And I like that about it. Like, it kind of just makes it... It, it gives the film a certain charm to it that... Um, that I really enjoyed. I think that especially in the beginning, like some of the, like the opening action scene is kind of a long shot, like hallway fight. That's really cool. Um, there are some pretty good special effects. Um, some that are not so great, but also that's kind of the point. Like it's just, there's a lot of digital blood, a lot of digital blood. That's true. But, um, a lot of like, (laughs) I'm trying to think of how to talk about this. So basically, the movie's called Mutant Blast, so there are mutants. Yes. The don't, mut- don't spoil things no, towards the end. I'm not. I'm definitely I not. I can't. love where this as movie As much goes. as I want to, I'm so, like, <laughs> not knowing where it was headed, it was, was such a treat to see, like, how crazy it goes. But some of the mutations that you see in this movie are just so bizarre, but also, like, so goofy and the effects are not great but that's just again it kind of just goes back to the DIY charm of this movie is it's like yeah I mean it doesn't look realistic but it's not really supposed to but also meeting with you know trauma-ness some of the effects are also super disgusting yeah so there are a few scenes like none of them like grossed me out or had me squeamish but there are plenty of scenes that I was just like yeah yeah it's gross it's it's, it's kind of gross at times um there's not much of a plot to the movie, especially. There, there is a plot. It starts off with a plot and then it just kind of goes. And then forgot about. Yes, exactly. And then reminded of on occasion. Every now and then. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those movies that I don't really have much else to say about it. Technically, like I don't have any issues with it. I just think that it's very much like they did the best that they could with what they had and they just had fun making the movie. I mean, that's that's really all there is to it. So I, I, I hesitate to say that I have an issue. I mean, I do, but it's one of the kinds of things where it doesn't matter because, again, it's a trauma film and I was expecting it to be just absurd and off the wall and over-the-top violence. And, I mean, I, I've seen Toxic Avenger at Central Cinema recently was playing that and love this. They had people walk out of Toxic Avenger, and that's one. Of, that's hilarious. That's one of the more accessible trauma films. Uh, love it. So, my my only issue with it is the tone felt uneven. There were some times where the tone was like super actiony and post apocalyptic and dystopian mm. and very 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 serious in nature, 
and then just silly. Yeah, well, it felt like there was a a progression where it started off very very serious kind of, and then it just slowly gets sillier and sillier, which, I mean, I can definitely understand why that would be an issue, but it didn't feel like it went back and forth a whole lot. It just kind of escalated into overt silliness. Well, and, and again, it's also one of those critiques where it doesn't matter. So it's like, yeah, the, the tone felt uneven because sometimes super serious and like wanting to genuinely care for some of these characters. And then it just goes completely bonkers. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, now I only care about this character because, oh my God, that's hilarious. Yeah. But it's not supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be tragic. It, or is it? I. <sighs> yeah. It's hard so, to tell. so there was some of that stuff. But again, who cares? You're not watching Mutant Blast to feel for these characters, even though, like, I did feel for them. Yeah, I mean, like, I kind of, I didn't, Carlos starts off kind of as the protagonist, um, and you you kind of like him early on, but then, like, later on in the movie, I kind of didn't really care that much about him. The character that I really cared about was Maria, um, who's played by Maria Light. Light L E I T. Um, I really, really enjoyed her character a lot. Like she's just the epitome of like a badass. I mean, just a badass. Like yeah. I, I love her. I love how, um, like just how standoffish she is with everybody, and she kind of lets her guard down a little bit later on in the film. But at the same time, it's like she doesn't really change and she doesn't ever do anything kind of inexplicable and they sort of make it, there's sort of like a romance in there, but also not really like, um, it, it's an apocalyptic romance. Of, yeah. Like literally if you were the last man on earth, kind of romance, sort so it, of, it yeah, works. it works. It works. It's again, it's one of those things where it's a movie that has all these basic <laughs> movie elements. Like, you know, starts there off is another love story that, I love and cannot say anything about because spoilers, but yes, man, love the side love story. (sighs) Yeah, there's (laughs) it's it's weird because like it starts off as a zombie movie kind of and then it turns into a road movie and then, you know, you the movie really like it opens up toward the last like 20 or 30 minutes and adds in all of these other characters, which is kind of jarring because it just throws in a whole bunch of other people right there at the end. And I don't know if it quite works, but it, it's okay. I mean, I don't yeah, know. maybe that's a little bit more uh, a better way to talk about the uneasiness or um, unevenness of the tone is I love the last part of the movie mm-hmm. when it just goes bonkers. I love it. I think that it is fantastic. It feels like I'm watching just a very gory uh, Mighty Boosh skit. Oh, I, yeah, it is. It is fantastic. And I wish that they had gotten there sooner because I wanted to see more of that story arc. So, like, all the stuff leading up to it is, again, we're like where it feels too serious, which I was on board with. And it's like, okay, serious with a little bit of goofiness, fine. But then it gets there. It's like, okay, all goofy with some violence, so much more fun. Why did you take so long to get here? Yeah, that's the thing. And it's weird because the movie's only like 80 minutes, 82 minutes or something. But it still feels long. Like, the pacing, especially in the middle section of the movie, really, really gets sluggish there in the middle, I think. Um, I mean, again, it's still enjoyable, but I think the issue is there's really not enough character development. And it is very much a movie that, like, it just wants to be, like, a straight-up, like, goofy action horror 
whatever. I mean, that's really it. And it, when it tries to shoehorn in the character elements and stuff, it just doesn't quite work as well. And it really slows the pacing of the movie yeah. down. Um, yeah. It's also the other thing. And this, I think, segues into the emotional side is I'm having a little bit of trouble remembering what happens in this movie in the middle section. Like, I remember the beginning and the ending pretty well. But everything that happens in the middle, like, I'm I'm struggling to remember. And there, there are things that don't matter. Right, yeah. There's a like, lot there, of things that there, don't matter. There's <laughs> like, a party that happens, and the dude is having a flashback to his party. That's a thing that happens. Yes, okay, um, I remember that, yeah. There's, like, the evil corporation in their bunker. That's a thing that's, that happens. That's one of the more fun elements of the movie that kind of goes away for a while, which was a little it, disappointing. But it's also one of the things that doesn't matter about the movie. It's the, true, yeah. The best part of the movie is <clears throat> once they meet, like, all of these other supporting characters that should have been the primary cast of an ensemble cast. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, but things happen and, and, and it's funny. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. It's got some pretty decent effects for the budget it had. <laughs> I don't like, this sounds very much like, <laughs> but if it feels like we're slagging on the movie, I really did enjoy the movie to get into the technical side of it, but it is one of those movies that is designed as pure, junk food i mean that really is it it's like you you eat it and then you are like okay sure that was fine and then you move on (laughs) my my emotional reaction to it is there are a ton of technical problems with it but oh so who cares it is a portuguese trauma film with mutants that's my emotional response no yeah (laughs) i mean that's pretty much it it's like it's fun it doesn't really matter the technical elements that don't work because it's not really supposed to work it's again it's just throw whatever we can at the wall and see what sticks or what doesn't stick just shove it in there anyway yeah i mean again it's kind of forgettable i think but if you're into this kind of thing it's there there are very 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 memorable scenes there are some very that's very true and then there's a lot of very forgettable scenes. Yeah. But, like, I, I do love the world that was created there. So, mm-hmm. like, especially uh, how some of the zombies function, especially one zombie in particular. Like, I think it's great. I, I, I love what is going on that caused the zombie outbreak. And so, like, I, that part I really, really enjoy. And if it had been made as a serious zombie movie... I think could have worked and I think there could have been a lot of places to go with it. So like, I, I like what's there. I should think it probably also a lot of forgettableness. I also think it it wouldn't be as good as a serious zombie movie. Oh no, I totally disagree. Like Like, there, there would have to be some suspension of disbelief even for a zombie film. But I think as a serious zombie film, it is a pretty, it might be one of the better explanations of zombies than I've seen in a while. I would agree with you probably maybe, but I honestly can't remember the explanation of the zombies in this movie at all. <laughs> like I, I really, that's the other thing that like, I probably should have written more notes down or something because so, that's, that's kind of the thing I don't remember is I remember it starts off as a zombie movie and then kind of becomes a road slash mutant outcast thing. And then, uh, then there's some stuff that I can't talk about. Without spoilers, the biggest piece about the zombiness of it is there is some room for debate on whether or not it is technically a zombie movie. Technically. Experientially, it's totally a zombie movie. But See, I thought that it was more just like a typical like government experiment gone wrong kind of thing. Yeah. But of. like what goes wrong... Again, yeah, I, mean, I, I like what goes wrong and and it works and 
I, I really like but it. But weren't there zombies before things went wrong? Uh, not exactly. Okay. Doesn't well. matter. It's fun. It's <laughs> it's silly. It is very violent. It is not for everyone, but um, it, it, it is for some people. Uh, how rewatchable is Mutant Blast? Let me think about this for a minute. All right. While you're thinking, for me, it is a background sci-fi Saturday movie. So, okay. you know, like growing up back when I still had cable, where on Saturdays, doesn't matter what's on after cartoons, you just turn on the sci-fi channel and you just watch their slew of bad sci-fi movies. That is why I still, even though lots of people do not like some of the Asylum movies, I have a very soft spot in my heart for them mm-hmm. because growing up on sci-fi Saturdays, you watched bad sci-fi movies. So now things like Sharknado, they're just fun. They're, they're very just nostalgic bad fun i love them that's a good i think that's a good point like yeah it's very much in the vein of something like sharknado where it's not taking itself seriously even when it's being serious it's not really it's obvious it's not taking itself seriously it's like oh we just have to put this in here because that's what you're supposed to do in these kind of movies yeah um yeah i mean i think it's one of those things where it's not a movie that i would want to sit down and really like pay attention to and rewatch. but if it was on in the background it's it's fine i mean it's definitely an enjoyable experience if you really just want that kind of brain off, like pure, I don't even know how to describe it. Like it's really just is something that I, like I said, I wouldn't rewatch it deliberately, Yeah, but I would be fine to watch it again if it was imposed on me. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like you're saying something negative. Yes, it does. And, like, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that it does deserve to be seen. I, I would recommend it to some people. But it's not the kind of movie that I'm going to be running back to. But if sci-fi was doing a triple feature of Sharknado, Mutant Blast, and Wolf Cop, it's like, all right, well, my TV is yeah. not changing channels for the next six hours. I'm not going to be sitting in front of my TV for the next six hours. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's the channel it's going to be on as I'm walking back and forth doing laundry. It's like, oh, yeah, the scene's awesome. Or, oh, crap, I missed the scene. Let me rewind it a little bit. It's, I don't feel like yeah. this would ever happen, but what would be really cool is if they did it, if they had this movie on, like, The Last Christmas? Drive-In oh. with Joe Bob Briggs. I thought you were going to say if they turned it into a Christmas movie. That would be pretty cool, too. Totally but, fits in with one of our themes for a future December to remember. Yes, it does. It's very true. Um, But no, like I think that if you had something like this on the last drive-in, you get the drive-in totals and you get like Joe Bob ranting about trauma pictures and talking about the history of that, like that would actually probably make this a lot more enjoyable. I would definitely rewatch it under those circumstances. But again, like just watching the movie, I don't think I'd ever feel compelled to revisit it on my own. Um, Yeah. Like it's, it's one of those things where like, I don't love the movie. I don't hate it. Like it was fine. I enjoyed it while I watched it, but after it was over, I pretty much have just kind of forgotten it (laughs) other than a few, again, a few very memorable scenes that really, really, truly make this movie worth watching. Yeah. Like I, I love that. I saw it. Uh, If I ever find a copy at a pawn shop, I'm definitely going to pick it up and I'm going to watch the last 30 minutes of this movie a lot. Yes. And it sounds like we're saying negative stuff about it. We're really not. It's just not every movie has the same intention. Mm -hmm. Movies like Mutant Blast are not meant to be, you know, like high cinema where you're really getting into like the depths of humanity. It's just like. It's meant to be easily digestible junk. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a slushy. Exactly. Made out of mutant parts. Yeah. Gross. But also. Yeah. (laughs) Also accurate. Also accurate. Uh, recommendations if if you enjoy trauma f- uh, films. 
Yeah, trauma films. I'd like what it really does. You, you talked about the mighty boosh, and it's like if you really enjoy that kind of like the kind of stuff that plays on Adult Swim, like the Adult Swim nightly programming stuff. Like it very yeah. much would fit. Like you, I could totally see this playing on Adult Swim at night. Uh, that is, I could see an edited version playing on Adult Swim. Do, do, or, do they have to edit stuff when it's uh, late? I'm pretty sure they still do. Yeah, I guess it's still they, basic cable. That's true, but um, <clears throat> unless they want to pay those those uh fonts of the fcc yeah uh but yeah i mean that's pretty much like if you if you're a fan of that kind of humor and those kind of i don't even know how to describe that just like very dark absurd if you've ever seen a trauma film and enjoyed it but had such a hard time getting through it because it's like ah man some of these scenes are great but why why is there a five minute poop sequence yeah, there's no Mutant poop in blast. this movie. Is there, is there not? I, I feel like there is. Maybe there is, but it's not like horrible. Yeah, it's it's not nearly as uh, prolonged as other trauma films. So yeah, if you feel like trauma goes too far in most of their movies, uh, Mutant Blast is a much more palatable film. And yeah, if you love just absurd, foreign, what the hell type of movies, then it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's worth, worth, worth watching. Oh yeah, definitely. I would not discourage anyone from seeing it. And again... The last little bit of that movie totally makes it worth watching. Oh, my God. I so great. I so wish we could talk about the end. Yeah, we it's, could. But I would not want to do that to the audience here. It, it sounds like we are not loving on this film. That's true. We're not loving on it. However, this movie is totally worth watching to get to where it goes towards the end. Because, oh, man, <laughs> the ending of the movie is just amazing. All right. So, so it, amazing. The Okay. So uh, last thing, just in terms of who I recommend it for and also like some of my uh, feelings about it, it at times, especially towards the end, felt like a, a hyper violent real life version of Futurama. Oh, yeah. That's a good. Yeah. I mean, I get that, that kind of goes back to the Adult Swim thing. Um, that, that Again, that feels like it would fit right in there. Futurama yeah. very much. That's a good counterpoint, except it's just not as sci-fi-y. Yeah. Just in tone. All right. I feel like I'm adding nothing to this podcast today, Nathan. What's it's going okay. on with me? I, I mean, you know, it's like every day. That's true. Still, I'm, just that's, that's sound, true. I'm just here as a sounding board. <laughs> let's be honest. You're not even really here. It's true. Tyler Durdening this shit right now. Uh, all right. So next up is a Bread Factory Part 1, because unfortunately we did not get to see a Bread Factory Part 2. Yeah. You know, that really sucks. I'm sad that we didn't do that. I mean, I'm... I'm, I don't regret it because the movie we got to watch instead was uh, Freaks, which yes. really enjoyed. Yes. Um, but man, yeah, it's sad that we can't watch Bread Factory Part 2 right now because I really enjoyed Bread, Fact- Bread Factory Part 1. Uh, Bread Factory Part 1, written and directed by Patrick Wang, starring Tim Daly, uh, Elizabeth Henry, McCurry, James Marsters, um, uh, Nana Visitor, the, the, lots of other people. Um, what's her name? Janine Garofalo. Uh, just a bunch of people. Some of these people you might be like, oh, yeah, them. Other other listeners would be like, I only know Janine Garofalo. No, no one else. Yeah. You probably recognize Tyne Daly. She's been in a bunch of stuff, um, but never as like a she's like she's in Spider-Man Homecoming and um, she's in Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah. Ballad of Buster Scruggs. That's true. So there's some more recent movies she's in, but she's like definitely somebody that you will recognize even if yeah. you can't quite place her. I think. In, in fact, I was just watching uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs with my wife the other night 
and we got to the sequence with her and Jess was like, she looks really familiar. She's been in a lot of stuff, hasn't she? Just, yeah, she has. Like what? Things? Everything. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. So Bread Factory Part 1, what's your prior information? Um, so prior information was that when we first heard about it, uh, when they announced it, I didn't really like it didn't really register with me. It wasn't something that I that jumped out. So I wasn't like super looking forward to or anything. But then we interviewed Chris Dorch, um, the director of CFF. And he was like, I really hope that people take a chance on this movie. Yeah. Um, and talked about how it was filmed in 16 millimeter and um, basically. Oh, and then the other thing was we watched the trailer. The trailer, the trailer is was uh, was really amazing and really hilarious. I the, still wasn't like to be to be perfectly honest. I still wasn't a hundred percent on board because I was like, okay, this is like this seems like it's just kind of like a quirky indie movie. Like it could really go either way because like I've I've fallen for so many quirky indie movies that sure. ended up just being like terrible and boring. So like I was still kind of guarded, but after Chris Torch's recommendation, and everything I was like, okay, I'm definitely I definitely want to watch this movie and see how it is. Yeah the the trailer the trailer might be one of my most favorite trailers ever. Um, and if you've not watched it, you need to watch it, especially because I love it so much. So there are technically two separate trailers for Bread Factory Part 1 and Part 2. During the trailer of Bread Factory Part 2, it's from the makers of Bread Factory Part 1. Yeah. So, like, just things like that where it's... Well, and it's funny because it's, it's still so one trailer. Silly. Yeah. It's one trailer that's bisected. So, you get the trailer for part one and then it immediately goes into the trailer for part two. And part two is, like, from the makers of Bread Factory Part One. And it has, like, these quotes on it that are attributed to, like, a fancy publication or something. Like, that's literally what the quote is attributed to. Yeah. The, It'll be, like, a very um, vague description of some kind of magazine or something it's really funny it, it if you've not seen a trailer for bread factory but you have seen the harpoon trailer um they use a lot of the same style of humor very different in tone and the movies are drastically different but that same kind of humor of like a self-aware meta trailer um kind of poking fun at itself that's what's going on with it uh yeah that, that's all that i had too. just the interview with chris and watching the trailer as excited as I was talking to Chris, I was totally on board once I saw that trailer because I was like, oh, my God, like I I don't exactly know what's going to happen, but I cannot wait to see it. And even though the quality of the film met the expectations, the tone, it's very weird. Like parts of the trailer, the tone absolutely shined through. But then other things, it's like that's not where I expected mm. it to go. And I love it for that. No, yeah, absolutely. What's what's interesting is that the and to, I'm going to go ahead and put the yeah. throw the wall up. This is technical. Technical. Yes. What's interesting about this movie is that it is very political, but it's like about small town politics. So it's about this uh, this small little theater community theater um, and how they're not getting enough. Fun- they're basically trying to get more funding so they can stay open because they're yeah. in danger of closing. Uh, and then you've got like this uh, really weird avant garde kind of. Um, theater group of just two people really coming into town and everybody's like super thrilled about it and they're like oh yeah we don't need this community theater anymore we've got these two like world famous 
actors or whatever you want, performance yeah, artists. World famous Chinese performance artists. Yes, they're performance artists and they're very strange and just, it's so goofy and so hilarious at just to see how people like, they don't, the people in this small town, like it feels like it could be somewhere here in Tennessee even. Like these people are not like very well educated. They're struggling to get by, you know, it's just. A, a very typical small town America. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because it's like, you know that you understand that they don't get it, what the performance artists are doing because it's so strange. But they also are like, well, I mean, they're world famous for a reason. So obviously we, we've got to pretend like we love it. And they've also got this uh, guy that comes in with them that's like their hype man kind of and also their lawyer, I yeah. guess. And it's just so funny and weird. Um, but basically it's kind of about like the main plot of the movie is uh, them trying to get funding to save the community theater and going up against the the performance artists. But what's great about the movie is it really focuses on like so many different people in this town. It is crazy how big of a cast this movie has yeah. because I don't feel like anyone was underused. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's kind of like a series of vignettes. Like what I think I described this in another episode, but it's very similar to uh, Richard Linklater's Slacker. Mm-hmm. Um, where it just kind of goes from person to person and doesn't really have like, it's basically a more plot driven version of slacker where you're really getting to know all of these different people in this town and how the, the, um, why the theater is important to them or uh, like it even goes so far as to like give you time with some of the people on the city council to make you understand why they are for or against funding the community theater. And, uh, like, I don't know, it's just, it's really cool. All the characters feel really fleshed out. Um, they do a lot of long takes. So like almost every conversation is filmed in like one shot. Um, yeah, this movie is technically like it, it is done so well. It's really, really impressive. It feels like a, it feels like it's a movie that was made by a bunch of theater kids. Yeah, basically. Um, and they put all of that, all of the energy that they would put into a theater performance into the film again it's a lot, a lot of long takes it's like they really wanted to get everything done in one shot like they would like if they were on stage um and there are so many little non sequiturs and just goofy characters like i love the uh, there's one character that comes in who's a friend of the manager of the community theater and it's just like an old theater friend from uh <laughs> oh yeah yeah she's uh i can't remember I haven't looked up her name, but she has, they, they show you one of her performances and it is freaking hilarious. Like it's so goofy and forgotten. it's so funny. Like that's the other thing about this movie is it is hilarious. There's so many things that are so funny, but it also feels relatable. Like it feels like a bunch of people that, you know, but just kind of slightly exaggerated, um, I don't know. And it also like as, as goofy and quirky as it is, it also is very serious at times. And like yeah. the movie has genuine concern for these characters and their well being, and really empathizes with their struggles. And um, I'm trying to think one of the things that I love so much about it, like, yes, it is hilarious, but it's a very absurd humor and not absurd. Like mutant blast is absurd, but more of like pointing out the absurdity of just life and the absurdity of some of these just small town interactions. And so like, it doesn't feel over the top and it doesn't feel silly. It just feels, it feels very, very genuine and it feels very real. And while some of the things might not be very realistic, I like that to me is where the humor was. So even Janine Garofalo's character, which (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, Janine Garofalo's character, uh, I she was probably a bit more over the top than caricature and the uh, Chinese performance artists are absolutely absurd. But like really, aside from them, every character felt so real. And even Janine Garofalo's character, like there was realism in the things that she was saying because I know theater people like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it still feels very, even though it goes a little over the top at times, it still feels very grounded and the movie juggles the tone so well. And I think part of it, again, is just the way it was shot. Like, with it being 16 millimeter, it gives it just a very, like, it's got a lot of grain in the um, in the shots, um, in the, the film stock. And it just, I don't know, I love the way that it looks. It just gives the film a texture that feels very earthy and real. Yeah. and it, it feels more documentary Kind of documentary-esque, yeah. So, one last thing about technical, and then uh, we'll quickly dive into the emotional, is I, I feel like the writer of this movie like probably had an entire team that he was writing with. And I feel like they spent so long just getting to know who these characters were and then wrote the movie about them. Cause it, like it, it feels like there's just so much backstory and so much that each of these characters like knows who this person is that even if you don't actually get a chance to see that in the film, I feel like it's present. And I, I just, I don't know. It, it's just one of those things where it doesn't feel like the uh, like the writer was focusing just on trying to tell a story. It felt like who are these characters? Yeah, you know what is their life actually like? Even if you never see that part of their life, it's important that they know uh, who that person is. And right. Yeah. And I, I just feel like that shines through. Yeah, and the production design is great. Like it really does feel like they just kind of took over a town and really tried to populate it with real people. And, like, I think it's really clear and obvious that Patrick Wang has grown up in a community just like this. And so much of what happens, I'm sure, is, like, these are actual people that he knows, basically. And these are actual stories that he's either been told or that he was a witness to. Like, it it, again, it does does just really feel so real. And you really um, enjoy these characters. And even though the plot does, like, I think the climax of the film is... It's a very conventional kind of movie moment, the way that it plays out, but it's done in such a fun, unconventional way that I love. Like, that's the thing. Even when the movie is playing very much within um, some of these more cliched um, plot developments, like, it still finds a way to make them unique and fun. And I don't want to spoil it, but... Well, and, uh, like, even with it feeling at times, quote, conventional, to me, it feels that way because it's not trying to create this unrealistic world, it feels like it's, yeah, this is what you would expect from a small town. And so mm-hmm. during some of the things that happen, it is exactly what you would expect from a small town. Yeah. Because that's what you would expect from a small right. town. Right. It doesn't feel like so, they try to milk the drama or yeah. anything like that. It really is just, it feels very, very natural the way that things flow. And also the other thing I like is that this is part one, but it still feels like a complete story. Like oh, yeah. I didn't leave the theater thinking like, oh no, I only saw half the story. Like it feels like an end to the point where I don't even really know where they would go in part two because this movie was two hours long. Part two is two hours long. So first of all, I just think it's pretty ambitious and amazing that that somebody's put together this like four hour epic about this small town like a low budget epic like that. Like, I don't know. That just seems amazing. But like, I truly don't know where the movie would go from there. And that makes me even more excited to see it. Like there's maybe one or two plot threads that 
leave you hanging, but they still don't feel unresolved. Yeah. Well, based on the trailer, it feels like part two is just about like a community wide play that they get more people involved with. Right. Yeah. So anywho, which sounds just delightful. I, I I cannot wait to see part two. I hope that I have a chance to see part two. Uh, All right. So emotionally, I love this movie. Like I genuinely love it. It was, I don't want to say that it was the best movie of the, uh, uh, of the film fest, but it felt like one of the most film festy in terms of just like a, you know, it's a standard film fest. It felt the most, you're not going to have much of a chance to see this outside of a film fest. And Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I hope that he gets picked up because I love this movie so much. Well, and this is what I think film fests are so good at is like, what what I've what I'm with the two that I've gone to. What I like about it is you get to see some of these early movies, and it feels like a small gem, like a discovery, and it's something that you can't wait to share with people. And it's something that I feel like I probably would not have ever seen had I not been at this film fest and been given this chance to see it. And, you know, I, I doubt I would have gone out of my way to see it unless it just somehow blew up in some way. Um, but yeah, like it's a movie that I kind of want to cradle and hold close and like say, <laughs> yes, this is a movie that I love and this is all mine because it does like as much as I hate to say it, it seems like a movie that it probably will not be seen by a whole lot of people. And I want to just spread the word and be like, you guys need to see this movie. It's great. Yeah. Um, I had a blast. It's hilarious and touching and has great performances and is just, yeah, I'm, I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to see the second part. Yeah. I, I can't think of a negative thing to say about it. I I love this movie so much and I need to see part two and I need both parts to be uh, available streaming somewhere so that people can watch it. And eventually I need the Blu-ray and I, I love this movie. Yep. Uh, rewatchable. It, it is a very long movie, so that's going to yeah. affect the rewatchability. That's true. It doesn't like that. And the thing is, it doesn't feel very slow paced, even though it is mostly just a bunch of people talking. Um, there's definitely some fun visual stuff in there and some performances that are great. Uh, so it doesn't feel slow paced, but again, it is two hours long and ultimately it's two hours, ultimately long. four yeah. hours long with part two. So it's one that probably would have to break up miniseries like the way that I watch pretty much every movie because sure. I have kids and stuff. <laughs> That's what happens. Um, now. but, but yeah, I think it's like really rewatchable, especially oh, yeah. like it's got some elements of like, there's like a, a coming of age story in there, I think with one of the characters and it, it's, it's definitely like a, a big sweet hodgepodge of a whole bunch of different movies and genres that I love. Uh, so on that end, it, I think it's really rewatchable. It just depends on the circumstances, really. Yeah. I mean, there's everything about this movie I feel like is rewatchable as long as you have the time for it. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. but, but but yeah, I mean, we've already talked about how we can't wait to re-see it. So I think that says a lot. Uh, in terms of who I recommend it for, all of the things that I can think of in terms of like, if you like this, you like Bread Factory, are things that are a little bit more intentionally comedic Mm -hmm. and so while i think that they are good examples in terms of the type of story and maybe the types of characters bread factory while hilarious is not outright funny like it is funny hidden in the absurdity it's not like a comedy where they're trying to get you to laugh um but if you enjoy waiting for guffman Uh, or parks and rec or uh northern exposure or just any uh, Gilmore Girls, but without all of the fast talking. 
Yeah, like, it's it's the the dialogue is just as good as something like Gilmore Girls, but it's not as as fast paced. So like the the dialogue in this movie is really hilarious. Yeah, I like I got a very strong Northern Exposure vibe from it, and maybe it was just because I don't know. I loved that show growing up, and while it was a comedy, it was a very slow comedy mm. question mark. So, so yeah, like if you enjoy things Kinda like dry. that, uh, yeah, and, and it had some of that same theaterness, but again, without being so over the top as Waiting for Guffman. So if you like some of the mundane and if you find humor and just a lot of heart in these small town stories, I think that you would absolutely love Bread Factory. I mean, I I recommend it to everyone because I don't really think there's anything about it that would be offensive to anyone. I don't think. Nothing stands out, at least. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't. But in terms of like people that I think would really enjoy it. Again, sort of like Parks and Rec without over-the-top silly uh, with just some of those small-town politics. Northern exposure, but without a moose. Um, I like the Gilmore Girls comparison. I think that's a really good – a really good uh, – like very similar kind of style, I think. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean – did you have Oh, one? no, no, no. Okay. I was just reiterating <laughs> things. For me, like what it – like I, I, I keep mentioning uh, Slacker, the Richard Linkletter film. And for me, like this feels like it – very much feels like it could have been a movie that came out during the 90s indie boom when you get things like yeah. Clerk or Clerks or um, El Mariachi or um, like Reservoir Dogs and that kind of stuff. So like, it, I mean, well, I mean, <laughs> you're going in a completely different direction. OK, well, I Although just mean I like, would love to see Tim Daly uh, dancing to um, uh, Stuck in the Middle. Oh, yes. That would be fantastic. <laughs> that, that is a thing that I need is a Bread Factory Reservoir Dogs mashup. We should definitely do that. Even though Bre- Reservoir Dogs is not like Bread Factory in any way whatsoever, <laughs> really, other than just being like a low budget kind of movie. I was mostly just naming movies from that that uh, that indie boom of the 90s. But uh, yeah, sure. We'll go with we'll go. If you love Reservoir Dogs, then you should definitely watch the Bread Factory. <laughs> Um, but no, like if you really if you really enjoy movies from that era and you like independent films and you like stuff that's more character driven um, and but also kind of funny, then yeah, that's that's where I'm going with the, the, the much 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 drier Coen Brothers films. Um, if you're a fan of if you're a fan of movies like Barton Fink, to where there's still comedy, but it is a much slower, much drier film. Minus the. Uh, slight fantasy elements you get in Barton Fink. Sure. Although my understanding is that part two does definitely get a little bit more, I don't want to say more fantasy, like have more fantasy elements, but it does have like scenes where people burst out into song and dance numbers like spontaneously and that I kind of stuff. I think that's which, part of the show. Like I yeah. think that is part of the show that they're working on. It <clears> At <throat> times and uh, it could we'll, be, yeah. we'll finish talking about the movie here in just a second but at times it almost felt like some of the British quote comedies that aren't about anything. So you know like some of the like uh, shows from like the 60s and 70s that they're technically comedies but they don't really go anywhere. It's just like Here's them going to the store. Oh, does something zany happen to them on the way to the store? No, they just buy their oranges and go home. Oh, where's the comedy in that? Have you ever bought oranges? Like, it feels (laughs) like it has some of that type of comedy with it. And, yeah, I I really cannot think of a bad thing to say about it. Absolutely adore Bread Factory Part 1 and need to see Part 2. Definitely. Hope more people get a chance to see it. Absolutely. All right. 
So that brings us to our last film, not only of this episode, but uh, this is the last film for our CFF coverage. It is, yeah. That, that That's a little weird. It's weird, but I'm I'm ready for it. Yeah, like I I feel like we have more movies that we need to talk about. It's like okay, on well, next uh, no way so this, many this this is it. So, well, it does it does seem like we have more movies to talk about there, but also we have so many movies that we have like we've we've come up with so many ideas just in the interim that like <laughs> we've already basically got the podcast planned out for the next like four years <laughs> to the point where uh, I've already started repeating ideas because I didn't realize yeah, that I've already said it. That's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- like I, honestly, this is a little bittersweet to think it about. Is. This is the last CFF movie we're going to talk about for at least a little. It bit. It is, especially given how bitter this movie is. So bitter. It is a uh, it is it is a primal scream of a film. Yeah, very much like it is. It is a movie that is very angry. It is, it is all the anger. Uh, all right, so we already mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, but uh, yeah, this last the last movie that we're covering in our CFF coverage is Suburbia from uh, Penelope Penelope Spheris from 1983, and um, yeah, this is. This is a thing. So uh, prior information, what you got? Um, So my prior information is I've heard about this movie quite a bit, actually. Um, And I'm fairly familiar with Penelope Spheris' work. Uh, You know, most people probably know her as the director of Wayne's World. Um, And she, I'm trying to think of, so with Suburbia (laughs) specifically, yeah. Suburbia is so not Wayne's World. It is so not Wayne's World, yes. But also kind of totally is. Kind of totally is. Oh, by the way, have you seen, did you see the, uh, she made a prequel to Suburbia in in the 90s. Did you ever see that movie? No. Uh, I think it's, let me check my notes here. Uh, Little Rascals. Yeah, Little (laughs) Rascals. Um, So <laughs> it's nice. It's uh, it's pretty good. It's it's d- radically different in tone, but it's definitely a prequel to Suburbia. Definitely, uh, I believe it. Kids run amok uh, in this town, and uh, yeah, it's very fitting. It'd be a great double feature. That was good. I like that. Um, I like a lot. So, so anywho. <laughs> Suburbia. I uh, heard about it on '80s All Over. It's one of those movies that I've, is just kind of like like sort of ubiquitous but only if you're like if you seek out um movie and like if you peruse imdb all the time or um just like in cinephile circles it Mm -hmm. seems like a movie that comes up every now and then um but yeah it was uh i'd heard a little bit about it. i heard it's great i was still not really prepared for what this movie is like my expectations was that it was going to be something probably similar to something like dazed and confused yeah where it would follow a bunch of kids in the punk scene and be more of a comedy or a day in the life. And it's not, it kind of is. It was not a comedy. No, it's, there, it, there it is definitely a day parts, in the life. It is not a comedy. Um, this definitely feels like something that, that was spun out of uh, Penelope Spheris' background as a documentarian because she did the uh, Decline of Western Civilization documentary about the punk scene. And this feels like a fictionalized version of what that documentary is. Yeah. Yeah. This movie has always kind of been in my collective film unconscious, but I, like, I don't remember the first time that I really heard anything about it. I don't even really remember anything specific that I knew about it beforehand, but it's always been one of those films that when someone talks about suburbia, it's like, oh, right, that one, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and 
The uh, so part of my prior information and expectation slash disappointment, not with the movie, is that uh, Zach Carlson was going to be introing this at CFF. Yeah, and unfortunately, we did not get to see this movie at Chat Film Fest. So even though it is part of our Chat Film Fest coverage because it was screened there, um, we watched it because it's streaming online in, in a few uh, different locations. I think I saw it on Tubi. I did too, yeah, um, Tubi. But, but yeah, so part of my expectation before the film fest was, oh, man, I, I love it uh, when Zach Carlson uh, talks about films beforehand. He brings so much information about them. I love all of the Bleeding Skull and Agfa films that he intros. So I was super excited about that, and then we missed it, like so many other things that we were excited about. Um that has less to do specifically with the movie itself and more about the Chat Film Fest experience, um, which, uh, yeah, n- not even entirely sure then why I'm talking about it in part of my prior <laughs> information, other than just uh, hearing him would have been such a huge piece of the experience at the Film Fest. And I really, really hate that we missed it. Yeah, um, that was disappointing. But yeah, other than that, uh, I, I knew that suburbia existed. I think and I think the other issue I had with my prior information is that I probably more than once got this movie confused with Suburbia, sure. the Richard Linklater movie, um, which is probably why I was thinking it would be more like Dazed and Confused. Sure. Uh, so yeah, that is uh, definitely a very different kind of movie. Um, so yeah, we're well, talking about Suburbia, not Suburbia, which has a capital U in it. And I, I can't remember because so so many uh, experiences from that weekend all kind of bled together. But I can't remember if it was uh, Brian Salisbury or Rebecca McKendry talking about like they they either hadn't seen it yet because they knew too much of what happened and how rough it was going to be to watch or like they had seen it, but like they weren't going to rewatch it. I, I can't remember which one of them said that. Um, I think they both said that, which is they, funny because like it still didn't like it still didn't click with me before I watched the movie. Like I was like, OK, yeah, sure. This will be rough. Whatever. Um, like it's got kids in peril, but sure. I, I thought of it more in like a Goonies kind of way. I'm not necessarily like. I don't know. I just didn't realize how grounded and serious and heart-wrenching this movie would be. Yeah. Um, even though I had plenty of warning beforehand from other people. Well, where, even from me, because and this, and yeah, will, you, <laughs> this will kind of uh, bridge between uh, prior information and technical. So I started watching it before you did. Oh, yeah. That's, 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 a good, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So I sent you a text like, so have you started watching this yet? And you're like, no, I haven't had a chance. Like, okay. Um the first five minutes are rough like it before the credits even roll oh man ah i actually did something i don't normally do and i spoiled this movie for myself on purpose because you told me about that and i was like okay maybe this is a little bit more intense than what i was expecting um because this and i don't think this is too much of a spoiler but there are children that die in this movie again the opening scene involves the opening scene and uh so when you told me that i was like okay i need to know what's going to happen to prepare myself for it so i knew but like i knew a lot about some of the stuff that happens in this movie especially because since we can't seem to escape our 60 days of halloween uh the fact that my week was uh fear of being a new parent and your fear was you know dead kids uh so like we just can't seem to escape that yes and especially, 
especially since two of the movies that you picked were uh, Cujo and Pet Cemetery. And this opening scene just kind of has some of those. It it, it has inklings of both of them. Yep. Uh, yep. With yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not a it's not entirely graphic, especially since it is so obviously just like a giant a doll. my buddy doll. Yeah, it really is. Um, but there's just something so real about what happens in the opening scene or just yeah. something so I'm, primal, I guess, that, that when it happened, again, very obviously a doll because none of the limbs were moving, like nothing going on, but it's still, it hit me much harder than I thought it would. And that sets the stage for the entire movie. Yes, but I completely agree. I want to get into it a little bit on the emotional side because I have emotions. I had so many, many, many of the emotions so, were had during this movie. So what would you think of it from a technical standpoint before we get to how this movie kind of wrecked us both a little bit? So technically speaking, um, this there's a very interesting kind of dichotomy with this movie and its technical merits because so Penelope's Fierce cast actual teens for this film like kids who'd really gone through some of this stuff and it's both the movie's greatest strength and its biggest weakness at the same time because whenever she is filming the movie like a documentary i'm just observing these kids in this environment it's great like it is capital g great and i think the movie overall is a great movie but there are certain points in this movie where the acting needs to needed to be stronger i think like there are certain emotional beats that i feel like didn't land quite as hard as they should have because it's clear that the actors are amateur actors um so i have a weird like i like again it in a way i kind of liked it almost and i feel like it works for the movie and for the story that's being told like it didn't take me out of it necessarily but again i think there were certain beats in the film where they didn't land the way that they should have because of the choice to have amateur actor or non-actors really they're not even amateur actors they just they were just kids i don't think most of them never acted again after this movie well at least one of them did um but i'll get to that in a second so even though that's true and i agree with you i also disagree maybe not necessarily in like what factually is going on but how well it worked i i feel like it actually made the movie much more real because i feel like the dialogue I, I feel like a lot of the dialogue, if it didn't come from those kids, that if she was like, okay, this is going to be your line, that they would have been like, no one ever actually says that. Like, I feel like it is so much more genuine. I feel like the things that they say are what they actually would have said. To me, it the, the acting is not good. It felt very like high school drama-esque in terms of the actual acting quality. But to me, it felt more like... Um, it felt more like if someone is telling you a story about like what they've actually been through and there's so much heart and so much emotion and so much realism and they're like, oh my God, that story is amazing. You know, we, we need to record this. Like we need to keep the story for posperity. Mm-hmm. Let me turn on my recorder. And then they tell the story like this yeah. where they, so it's still a true story with emphasis. Like that's a little bit more what it felt like to me where it felt so real but, like, as soon as you turn a camera on and people are just, like, a little nervous and they don't yeah. know how to act. Well, and that's the thing. Like, again, I think it, it still gives the movie that that great authenticity that I think is necessary. And everything still feels natural. At least the, the way the lines are written is natural. 
but the way that the lines are delivered is unnatural. So yeah. it it's at the like it feels like a documentary, and it's also making you very like hyper aware of the fact that you're watching a movie, which is a very strange kind of tone that I, it again, strikes. I, I don't disagree, but it's also one of those things where at the very beginning it took me out of it a little bit just because of exactly that of how mm. not good <laughs> the acting is, but. It didn't take me long to just be like, well, these are these characters. And it felt like it was a part of that world. And so, yeah, again, the acting's not great, but I got used to it before too long. And so it didn't take me out of it as Mm. much as maybe it took you out of it. Yeah. Well, and I honestly, like in the end, I think it ultimately kind of works in the film's favor because the, the... it, it feels like a reflection of the characters themselves. Like the movie is very rough around the edges and it, there are certain plot developments that like make me very angry oh, and yeah. things that I really disagreed <laughs> with. But at the same time, like that's kind of the emotion that it's supposed to evoke because that's exactly how the people in this town feel about these kids. Like they're, they're essentially homeless. They're all living in this uh, like condemned house and, Everybody in town treats them like criminals, but really the only reason they're there is because they've been cast aside by their parents or they're victims of abuse or it's, it's very interesting. And the movie does not, it empathizes with them, but it also does not um, necessarily forgive them for their actions. Yeah. Like for no reason, like, yeah, it shows the consequences of some of their decisions, but you also understand why they make the decisions that they make. Exactly. And so, yeah, there is absolutely just a, a huge back and forth of like feeling for these characters and be like, oh man, I can't imagine going through what they go through. Of course, you know, of course they're going to do what they mm-hmm. just did. But it also doesn't excuse their behavior. Yeah. I, think. I um, mean, especially because some of the things I would, oh, man, we'll, we'll get into that in just a second with the emotional yeah. uh, really quick. Cause I said, I'll get back to it in a second. Flea is in this movie. Flea's actually pretty good in this movie. He's one yeah. of the better actors. Like I really, uh, I really enjoyed his performance. And he's all of these characters. Like the other thing that makes the acting more excusable and not too bad is all the characters feel very real. Like feel very like they all have their own very distinct personalities. Yeah. Um. And so like even if the acting is a little weird sometimes, like you still understand who these people are, and it, it's not. It doesn't take me out too much. Um. And yeah, Flea. Like is flea. he has a pet rat <laughs> and which is pretty great um i love the the production design in that it's not really even production design it's like they literally just went into an abandoned house and rigged up electricity and made it look exactly the way that like they did exactly what these kids would have had to do to live in this home um so like it just feels very real and lived in and the writing i think is ultimately so good in this movie like there's so many incredible scenes and there is so much underneath the surface of this film like it's really trying to dig into some of these deeper societal issues like there's there's stuff in there that like even goes all the way back to the vietnam war like early in the film they're watching footage from the vietnam war and it's almost like it is like it's trying to trace the problem back. Like it's, it looks at the adults and the problems that they have and how those problems have created problems for their kids. And then how ultimately those kids are getting blamed for, um, the issues that were caused by the previous generation. And it's just, it's, it's an absolutely fascinating and densely layered work of art. Yeah. Um, the, the social commentary <laughs> in this film is absolutely, I think the strongest technical component of it. 
And like, there's so, so much to talk about. I mean, (laughs) you and I were even talking about a ton of it before we started recording. And there's just, even though this film is from uh, 83, so it's 36 years old at this point, like it felt current. It felt like so much of what was going on. Parts of it felt dated. Parts of it absolutely felt like, okay, that's, that's a product of the early eighties. But like for the most part, it felt like it could have very easily been remade in modern day mm-hmm. and really only changed a couple of things. For one, the payphone. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, like the vast majority of the issues are still very relevant issues and and how society is treated and not just the uh, the kids and the um, not just those outcast kids, but also the way that adults are presented and the consequences of their actions and so much about this film like that is skipping ahead to uh, my emotional for yeah, just a second. Definitely. That is why I love this movie so much is because. There's just so much to discuss that it is impossible to watch this movie and then just cast it aside and be like, oh, well, that was a fun experience. You mm-hmm. know, like it, it's not like Mutant Blast <laughs> where no, it's just silly. And yeah, maybe there's some some societal things that you can get into like government overreach and whatever. But with Suburbia, it's just like it is impossible to watch this and not just just have your heart break for society. Yeah, absolutely. Like it feels like a, a, a very important movie and even to the like a a, a great time capsule of of the 80s and also completely still relevant today like it is it's such a singular movie like it still today doesn't really feel like anything else that's out there now yeah um yeah it's 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 fantastic so i i'm not sure if this falls in the technical or emotional technically it probably fits more in the technical but since the majority of what i have to say about it is more technical yes but more of what i have to say falls under the emotional side of the technical merit of it it's kind of there's a very gray line between the uh technical and emotional so we're halfway in emotional right now the the way that the adults are presented in this film i i absolutely Love. I don't love the adults. Like they are terrible, terrible people. But I love how that is presented. Where you know all of these you know punk rebel youth who are doing all these illegal things and you know like going into a gas station and pouring a slush into his eggs just cause. Yeah. And, you know like spray painting graffiti everywhere and like doing all of the stuff that that's it's not good things to do. And again, like they're definitely understandable why they uh, why they are sort of outcast of society and why society does not really want them there. But the adults are dicks. Yeah, they're they're a great foil for the for the uh, <clears throat> for the teenage characters because they're essentially doing a lot of the same things, but in a way that we've just deemed socially acceptable. Yeah. Um, or like, what's interesting is uh, so we mentioned this before. I think. I'm probably segueing into the emotional a little too much, but anyway, there's we, we're halfway in the emotional. One of the one of the funny things is like they have a uh, a bumper sticker that says, <laughs> "When guns are outlawed, only outlaws will have guns," and it's like, oh well, that's uh, doesn't sound like anything we ever hear in today's society whatsoever. But what's funny about that, as you pointed out, is that they are actually going around with guns, shooting wild dogs. The adults are, and they are breaking the law. So they yeah. are already outlaws, yeah, and they, they don't, are taking the law into their own. They hands. are, and then that causes issues for the teenagers later because they're these adults are content. They are they're uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? They're they are trying to clean up the streets. Yeah. They're trying to be vigilantes. And uh, it's just like they're really doing a lot of the same things that the kids are doing, but in a way that they have deemed socially acceptable. And they don't realize that they are part of the problem, that well, they are part of the reason what they are doing is the reason why these kids are in the situation to begin with. And to me, what the adults are doing are even worse because yeah. like the, the kids and especially uh, one character in particular, sometimes they are a little violent and sometimes they do act out with aggression. But at, at least how, how I view the movie, the um, was it T.E.? Is that what or T.R.? TR, the rejected. Yeah, the rejected. So all of the TR kids, um, to me, their aggression and violence comes across as either self-defense, like a literal physical trying to not die in a situation, right. or an emotional self-defense of they don't know how to respond appropriately or they don't know how to cope with whatever trauma they've been through. And so the only thing that they can do is act out. And again, that is such a, a relevant thing. I mean, there was even a, a conference um, here at work that like was literally talking about exactly that, <laughs> about kids who have been through trauma. Of course, they're going to be more aggressive. It doesn't it doesn't justify their behavior, mm-hmm. but it helps explain it. And if you can explain it, that means that you can predict it. And if you can predict it, that means that you can treat it. And so, like, the the aggression that the, uh, the TR kids are doing, again, terrible, but makes sense. Mm-hmm. The adults who go out there and are shooting the dogs, they're doing it almost for fun. In fact, yeah. at one point, one of the characters said something along the lines of, like, oh, I bet you felt real big about that or I bet you really enjoyed that, you know, kind of a – you're being a dick kind of comment. Yeah. And the guy's like, yeah, kind of. So like they're enjoying doing these acts of physical aggression. And well, um, and the dogs also exist kind of as a, as a pretty unsubtle metaphor for what's going on with the kids themselves. Like yeah. these dogs are just wild and have never had anybody to give them any kind of training or direction. And they're lashing out and they're attacking people. And instead of like actually trying to reform the dogs, the people just go out and shoot them. Yeah. So like, and that plays directly into something that happens, especially because you do see, uh, well, flea, you see flea, uh, like actually training some of the dogs and working with them. And it has a positive impact. And, uh, yeah, even down to this minor spoiler, I guess, but again, 36 year old movie, there is nudity in this film, but it none of the nudity one there there are a few scenes of nudity. One of those scenes is sexualized in the sense that uh, it's a stripper. Um, but the only like sexualized nudity that you see is with the adults, right? Anything <laughs> involving the kids, even though some of the nudity does happen around them, like it makes you just feel so bad for them and it makes you just it 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 makes your heart break and like seeing especially one of the scenes when it happened is just like oh my god this is terrible and it's not supposed to be titillating in any sort of way it's supposed to be heartbreaking Mm -hmm. and just the way that that is presented and the way that again the adults who are supposed to be the reasonable people in society are just making everything worse yeah Oh, God, there, there, well, and again, so much that we can discuss with this movie. And with the rejected, too, there is, and with the, just the kids in the punk scene in general, there is a sense of community there where they're they're really trying to lift each other up. They're they're trying to help each other. They're trying to survive. And and then when you get to the club scene with uh, with one of the 
uh, scenes of nudity that you're talking about, it's like they actually they call it out like the the band that's on stage stops playing and they're like no this isn't okay like we we're going to stop playing if you don't give this woman her clothes back and so they really do show that like yeah these kids are acting out but they also have a sense of morality they're acting out not necessarily because they want to hurt other people they're just doing it because they don't know what else to do it's the only thing that makes them feel alive and it's the only way that they know how to respond to anything yeah and like they all understand we're angry like there is definitely a lot of anger in punk music a lot of anger in the punk scene but it's it is an outlet to try Mm -hmm. to address it appropriately yeah um like you were just saying to the point where anytime that they're in the in the club and the bands are playing if the crowd starts getting too riled up, like they turn the lights on, they shut the music down and it's like, no, you're going too far. And so there's a lot of not really policing, but a lot of holding each other accountable. It's right. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. we know that you're angry. We know that you need this outlet. We know that you need to have this mosh pit to like get some of it out, but you can't go too far. And I, I just love the fact that there is the we understand why it's so important to have an appropriate outlet for your anger and why sometimes, yeah, you do have to be physical, but we can't let each other go too far because right. when we let each other go too far. That's when society falls apart. And I just, I love the fact that the rejected are the ones who are actually following through with that. Mm-hmm. Whereas quote unquote, civilized society are the ones making everything so much worse. Um, there's got one of the most powerful and I think important and just like encapsulating of the entire movie scenes happens later on in the movie. And I I don't want to talk about the specifics of what happens because, you know, spoilers. Um, But, but there, there's a scene in particular where, um, where, where there's some grieving going on, but in the midst of grieving, the uh, the so-called reasonable adults are like actively rejecting the kids and just not letting them grieve. And it yeah. is so again, it encapsulates the entire movie in just such a powerful and emotional way that I yeah, and the way it, that it's that, so hard to talk about without yeah. Spoilers. Well, and the way that that figures in the plot later is so tragic and awful. But you know, I think that's I think that's a good point. That's actually my favorite part of the movie because, well, I say favorite. It's it's heartbreaking, but it's the one I think resonates the most with me. Um, basically, while these people are grieving, they're telling these kids like, "You are a distraction. Like, we don't like you here. We want you to leave. Please go away." And the kids are like, "Why don't you just ignore us?" And they're like, "We can't ignore you." And that's such a just like incredible example of dramatic irony where it's like, no, the whole point is that they've been ignored. They've been ignored for so long. And that is why they're in this situation to begin with. And they're like, why can't you just ignore us? That's what you I mean, basically, they don't say this, but it's like basically that's what you've been doing. It's like, oh, but no, now you're visible. Now you're seen. We can't ignore you. So we. Uh, we're going to lash out at you and it's, it's, it's just so heartbreaking and yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's such a (laughs) heavy movie. This movie gave me so many more feels than I thought. Like I thought going into it that it was going to be almost more of just like a, you know, genre pseudo horror action, not really based in reality. Like again, in part because I didn't really know that much about it, but going through, I was like, this movie is too real. Like it, it felt, 
it, it just felt too real. There it were does, too many yeah. things that were too heartbreaking about it. That yeah, it was at times it was hard for me to get through just because of how taxing it was emotionally. It really is. And like I said, it's a great movie, but it is it's very it's a very difficult watch. Um and I lost my train of thought. So uh, I'm going to sit here and just say words because I don't remember what I was saying. Sorry. Yeah. This. Go. So this. Oh, movie, I, okay. I know where I, I was going. Yeah, with. Go, ahead, go ahead. Okay. So the one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that this is a Roger Corman production. Yes. So this is essentially an exploitation film at times, and there were parts of this movie since we're fully in the emotional side. Sure. When I first started watching watching this movie, I hated it. Like the very opening scene that involves the child being attacked, I was like, "This is ridiculous. This is pointless and exploitative, and I hate it." Like I, like I really wanted to turn the movie off at that point. Like it felt so unnecessary. But then later on in the movie, it does justify what happens at the beginning of the film, and. So I, I started to understand. And again, I, that kind of goes back to like this movie does a few things that I don't like. There are some of the nudity, I think, does feel a little exploitative. And it feels like one of those like Roger Corman said, we need to put tits in this movie. So we're going to put tits in this movie. Even though I think the movie does a really good job of trying to subvert that a little bit and make it something different and not just have it there just to have boobs in a movie. Sure. But at the same time, there are elements of it that feel kind of exploitative, which I think would turn some people off. And it initially turned me off. But ultimately, by the end of it, I understood. And again, like it's just such a perfect reflection of the movie. It makes sense for this movie to be an exploitation film because it's about kids who are who feel exploited. Well, and And, like that's the thing is I get some of the exploitation tones and tropes or whatever. But to me, it didn't feel exploitation in the sense of I'm going to take this thing and take it to outlandish heights and exploit Mm -hmm. something uh, for my own personal gain. It felt more like it almost felt more exhibitionist than exploitation in the sense of like, yeah, we're exploiting, quote unquote, because we're trying to shine a light on these are things that are actually going on and trying to actually it it, i i got a lot of the same feelings watching suburbia that i had watching vice squad where it's like surely things like this didn't real that that just feels a little too extreme whereas all of the stories in vice squad were based on like real Real things yeah that is how i felt about suburbia some of the stuff in this it didn't quite feel real because Mm -hmm. i didn't want it to be real right well and that's the thing like ultimately at the end of the day like i said this movie it's a very angry kind of movie it's like yeah i want you to be fucking angry because we're angry and we need you to understand why we're so angry it's uh yeah man it's um it's 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 terrific and it is a movie that again it feels kind of necessary even today to get that outsider perspective to to understand why these kids are outcasts to, un- to look at like when you see, you know, these, these quote unquote punks running around doing terrible things. So not just immediately clutch your pearls and say, get away from me, <laughs> you street urchin, you street rat, whatever, like right. get away. Like there's, there's more to it. These, there are kids, so many kids out there that really do need our attention and need that hand up and don't need to just be cast aside because that's going to create so many more problems in the long run. Yeah. Well, and one of the other things that I love about this movie is at least one of the characters who's part of the TR 
has a good home life. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't like his dad, stepdad. And I, I love that so much because, first off, the stepdad is one of the best characters in the movie, mm-hmm. in part because, you know, he's an actual actor. Um, but, like, he's presented as such a good character who is genuinely trying and really cares about his son and, like, really, really trying to do the best for him. But just because of uh, because of society and because of the way that rejected kids typically get treated by individuals in that profession, mm-hmm. like there's just this instant rejection of you will never understand me because of blah. Right. Even though he's trying to understand him. And so I think that that just shows a really good example of even when parents are doing their best sometimes bad things happen and you know i'm approaching that um in large part from just my history in psychology and you know working with people with substance abuse where it's not always the parent's fault and it's not always trauma and yeah it affects people who are affluent as well as poor and like it can affect anyone and so even coming from the best family, like you can't blame yourself and you can't say, what could I have done better to have kept this from happening? Some instances, it's a very clear, if you hadn't done this, it wouldn't have led to this terrible outcome. But other times it's like, man, you're doing your best and sometimes horrible things still happen. And so I love how real that is. Yeah, and I think I, I love, the, I especially love that character because it does provide a necessary counterpoint to the more overtly, I guess, villainous characters, adult characters that it's like, oh yeah, these, these people are the reason why these kids are, are the way that they are. And it's like, well, no, not entirely. Like you can't entirely blame the parents. There are other societal issues at play here that are causing this. And it's something that we just ultimately have to stop trying to blame other people for and just, just start doing what we can to fix it. Yeah. Because without trying to fix it, things are only going to get worse and you're only going to get into more and more of a cycle. Right. There. Uh, all right. Even though we've already talked a lot about this film, <laughs> I feel like there is so, so much that could be discussed about suburbia that like I almost want to do a separate deep dive analysis yeah. where we get into really very heavy spoilers. I don't know how soon or if that will happen. But, like, there's so much more that I want to say, but it's impossible to talk about it without giving very specific examples that, Mm -hmm. again, even though this movie is 36 years old, I feel like part of the experience is not knowing the details as you get into this. And, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, even if you – like I said, I knew a lot of what what was going to happen in this movie because I deliberately spoiled it for myself. And it's still, like – I don't feel like it really lessened the impact any. It might have, I mean, it might have been more impactful if I had I not known what was going to happen. It probably would have been. I might have been even angrier about what was going to happen. There's at least one scene that it's probably a good thing that you knew what happened beforehand. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, yeah, I mean, if this is, if you're sensitive to this kind of stuff, maybe it's, it's better to kind of brush up on like, okay, this is what to expect. Um, But, but yeah, we're not going to get into spoilers either way, just because, we don't want to take that power from you. We don't want to take that power from you. Yeah. So like, this is an absolutely amazing movie. Um, I I don't feel like we're shortchanging it any. I just, again, in part because the discussion that you and I had before we hit record, Mm -hmm. I just feel like there's a lot more that could be discussed. Yeah, Um, So we're going to table some of the extremely deep dive spoilery discussions. Um, I don't know how long it's going to be tabled. That might be put on the shelf. For a while, uh, we might not come back to it 
for a long time, just in part because of how emotionally taxing this movie is. I, say, and yeah, I would that's need a... to rewatch it to really have that fresh in my mind. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, for, to go into the rewatchable section of this review, it's like, <laughs> it's... yeah, it, we probably would have to wait a little while because this is not a very rewatchable movie. I don't think. I mean, to be fair, I was never in the in like never interested in punk music or in the punk scene in the way that some of these kids are. I would say that maybe if you to spoil the, uh, the who I recommend it for, if you do really identify with these kids and you have been in the situations like this, it might be a movie that you can watch all the time because it reminds you that there are other people out there like this and that there are people who are angry about the fact that this stuff still continues to happen. So for me personally, it is so such an emotionally draining experience that it's not very rewatchable, but it might just really depend on your constitution for this kind of material. Quality of movie, though, I think... I, I think in terms of quality, it definitely is rewatchable. It definitely deserves to be seen. Um, and with the who I recommend it for, I'm torn on whether or not I think people who have been through similar situations would enjoy it. Because on the one hand, I think that it does give some of that uh, compassion and commiseration to be able to say like, oh, yeah, I've been where they are. I get it. Man, it's so great to know that I'm not alone. <clears throat> Could also be very triggering. Though, exactly. I think. Yeah. So it's... It, it it could be difficult. Um, if you're the type of person who does enjoy darker dramas and who does enjoy um, does enjoy more psychological movies, not in terms of like a psychological horror, but just getting at the roots of you know what does it mean to be human and what is that basic human experience. This, I think, you would really enjoy. So if you study psychology or are interested in, again, the human experience, I think uh, think that you would really dig it. Or yeah, even sociology because um, it does yeah. feel like it is trying to get more at a lot of the um, – a lot of societal issues that, that – cause teens to be in these situations to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, with all of that, with the how rewatchable, very with a lot of time in between, um, and it, it can be emotionally taxing, eventually we're going to come back and do a much deeper discussion with a ton of spoilers, but do not expect that anytime soon, in part because we just have so many other movies that we also want to talk about. Yeah. That- <laughs> <laughs> we, want, we want some variety, um, but that that's uh, that's going on our list of things that we're eventually going to come back to. All right, is is that it for all of the movies? I think that's it. Uh, wow. Suburbia. It's a it's a great movie. Just yes. have to say, I, even though I said it's not rewatchable, it's definitely a great movie. Highly recommended for pretty much anybody. But uh, it kind of, you know one thing. I, I'm just last thing. It kind of reminded me of Train Spotting in a way, in terms of like the tone. Sure. Um, it, it feels very much like something like train spotting, but specifically with within the punk community. Yeah, and a little bit. I mean, it's more of a product of the '80s. It does have some like kind of cheesy stuff in there. I mean, obviously, like with the acting, but but overall, yeah, it's a uh, it's a great movie. Definitely recommend it to people who um, are interested in in that scene. Yeah, an amazing movie. Absolutely deserves to be seen, and it's going to be a difficult watch for a lot of people, especially if you have kids. Yes. Is prepare yourself if you have kids. It's oy vey. Uh, it, especially because it's not a horror movie, so you don't have that escape from reality like with Cujo. Just yeah, like, you don't oh, get that catharsis it, at all. Yeah. It, it it's all of the things that horror does in terms of showing the darkness of humanity, but without the escapism of the fantasy of horror. Right, it's yeah. too grounded in reality, which in a way makes it even more horrific. Exactly. 
All right. Um, that, that, that wraps up all of our uh, Chat Film Fest coverage. Again, there's going to be a few more episodes that are Chat Film Fest adjacent um, that absolutely would not have happened were it not for Chat Film Fest. But for the sake of uh, closing out all of our CFF Presents sort of episodes, um, yeah, this, this is it. Uh, we've got a lot of things coming up, though. Um, in June, our theme is going to be summer camp movies. So, oh my god, I'm so excited about this. This is going to be great. I'm so excited. There's <laughs> we we have a nice variety uh and a couple of special guests that are going to be joining us. So, really looking forward to June. I have an idea of what to do for July, but we'll, we'll get see. there after we get past June. Um yeah. So, hopefully we'll get the uh, the first review and our summer camp movies out before too long. Um we we're, we're going to shoot for getting them out each weekend. I don't know if that's going to happen. I should probably stop t- saying when things are going to happen <laughs> <laughs> without knowing for sure when things are going to happen. Um, but uh, but yeah, we, we've got some special guests coming up and some really fun movies that are going to be a lot more lighthearted than uh, than Suburbia was. Man, we're really ending things on a downer. Yeah, we really are. But you know. It's okay because there's 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 sunshine ahead. Yes, and that's why we're going camping because we want to be in the sun and we want to <laughs> pretend like the world is a bright and shiny and fun place where the only thing we have to worry about is you know the rich kids across the river. Exactly, because that's going to happen a yeah, few times. Definitely, and you know maybe some machete wielding serial killers. Um, <laughs> all right, <laughs> maybe a couple, maybe maybe some of those. Who knows. All right, Eric, where do you want people to find you? Uh, follow me on Twitter at The Chimerican, on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews, and on Letterboxd at Eric J-A-Y. And you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at The Gargoyle Podcast, on Twitter at Gargoyle Podcast, and on Letterboxd at The Gargoyle. Uh, and if you enjoyed this episode, if you want to check out the rest of our CFF coverage, if you're excited about summer and summer camp movies and want to keep listening to us ramble on about things that we love and sometimes hate, uh, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Just do a search for – you're already listening to it. I don't know why I keep saying where to find it. You've obviously already found us. And you can obviously already see the title of the podcast Found as you're the looking at it. Gargoyle. However, if you're looking for it, just do a search for the gargoyle. That's G-A-R-G-Y-L-E because it is a gargoyle wearing an argyle sweater. All right. Um, oh, yeah. It's, it's been a little while and I almost forgot about this. Uh, gargoyle podcast is brought to you by Central Cinema and Knoxville Horror Film Fest. Submissions are open for Knoxville Horror Film Fest, and the lineup that Central Cinema has been playing all summer has been amazing. They're wrapping up their maze for monsters, and oh my god, that might have been my most favorite month of films that they've been showing. And um, they've they've got a lot of a lot of good things coming up. Oh, they're doing uh, they're showing the original Star, Star Wars, Wars trilogy. trilogy. Yeah. So if you want to see Star Wars, like the original trilogy on the big screen, go to Knoxville and go to Central Cinema because, well, just because it's Star Wars and it's movies and fun people. You should should go. They're great. I concur. All right. (laughs) That's been it for this episode of the Gargoyle Podcast. I'm Nathan, a.k.a. the Gargoyle. And I'm Eric, a.k.a. the Chimerican. And remember, kids, um... (sighs) Chat Film Fest is only a... 
11 months away now. I was I was about to say, <laughs> go to Chat Film Fest next year because we've spent the last, not even the last month, we've spent the last month talking about the things from this year's Chat Film Fest and the month prior to that talking about previous year's Chats Films Fests. So, uh, yeah, we obviously love Chat Film Fest so much, and uh, you need to go. Start saving your money now. Start buying your tickets and booking your hotel rooms and sending all of your love and money to Chris Dorch and the Chat Film Fest crew to make sure that it happens, because you should, because it's amazing. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, season two of the Joe Bob, Joe, last drive-in with Joe Bob Riggs is going to come back on Shutter. That's that's fun. It is. Got it's renewed. Very awesome. Very excited about that. Even right. though I haven't watched season one, but it's okay. The worst. I got to binge it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's gonna I've be been a, too busy uh, trying to do a podcast. It's going to be a great thing to binge. Um, all right. Yeah. I, I I guess that's it. We should go now. We've all been right. talking a while. I'll see you at summer camp, Nathan. Yeah. I've I've got a lot of terrible ideas for those episodes. Good. I can't wait. Good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye.